listening to another powerful message from C3 Southwest Washington. We are so excited you're here with us, and we believe God has more in store for you. Uh, before we jump into the Word, just real quick, 18 to 25 years old, get signed up for the Passion Conference. It's in January, but I'll say this, you got a small window where, the, where you're, you're going to save a lot of money if you get signed up. So jump on the, uh, use the QR code and jump on our website. And you'll be able to find out details there. Talk with Chance and Abby. They'll bring you up to speed. Also, if you volunteer in any way, shape, or form, coming up this October, we're doing something called the C3 Team Awards. It's on a Saturday night. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's a dessert, and there's going to be a lot of uh, great awards given and some fun awards. Not maybe, I think they're great, but maybe a little bit sarcastic. Uh, so with that, Scripture, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 17 to 18, an amazing portion of Scripture. Paul is writing, and as we're in this series called Unlocked, we discover that Paul experienced a locked door. And I want to talk to you about that today. Last week, I talked to you about the value of the season of the locked door, the things that you can onboard while the door is locked, that don't waste the season. While the door won't open for you, there's some good things that can happen, even if it's not God's will for that door to be closed. There could be some things that you can onboard during that time of trying to get through the door. But today I want to talk to you specifically about who locked the door. Because if you can figure out as a follower of Jesus, as he's trying to lead you through a door, and you come to that door and it's locked, if you understand how it got locked, who locked it, it will inform the, how you approach, how you move forward, what you do next. Because some doors you need to stand in front of and wait for the timing for them to come unlocked on their own, almost. I mean, you do more than just stand there, but you're waiting for the right moment where your preparation and your readiness is able to thrust you through that open door at the right timing. And then there's other moments when the door is locked and you better not stand back, but you better get your crowbar out and pry that thing open. Right? And to know the difference is one of the great, great uh, signs of somebody who's learning how to follow Jesus well. Paul came to a closed door, and he says to the church in Thessalonica, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, only for a short time, and in person, and, but not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, this is amazing, but... Satan hindered us. And he confesses, there's, a, there's been a closed door and it's not God's will and it wasn't anything anybody else did. Really, the enemy has tried to nail this door shut. And we know historically later on, he was able to interact with them in some different ways where he broke through that door. But he recognized that the door was closed by the enemy. And so I wanna, challenge, I wanna speak to you today and challenge you to understand who has locked the door that is locked in front of you, okay? If you want to uh, hear from God today, I want you to just place your hand over your heart. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your beautiful word. It informs our lives. It gives us the information about who you are, who we are, how to navigate forward and experience all the good things that you have for us. And so, Lord, we pray today in Jesus' name that you will give us understanding to follow you. Lord, I pray for everyone in the room today that are disciples, that you will help them to be able to tune into this understanding, to develop discernment when they're experiencing resistance, to know the source of the resistance so they know how to move forward. And Lord, I pray for everyone in the room who's yet to be a disciple, who have not started following Jesus, that Lord, that they will see the fact that in following you, we can, they can navigate to 
the best places in life and beyond this life because of the sacrifice you've made and that invitation to follow you. And so we give you thanks today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said amen and amen. Give the Lord a big hand before you're seated. Okay, I got, you, got, you got me. I think it's the wind up here from the fans. You may be seated. Um, we, uh, the air conditioning has been out for the last couple of weeks. Some of you are thankful. Because I am a firm believer the way to keep you paying attention is to cause it to snow. We don't have a rainmaker in here. We have a snowmaker. And uh, so we kicked on the fans. So um, back earlier this year, there was a news story about a man who was an engineer at Microsoft uh, his name was Brandon Jackson, and he was the type of guy who was so into technology that he really developed a smart house, a smart system at his home using Alexa and a number of other products where he could get to his house and he could unlock the door using uh, devices that are that smart te technology, walk into his house, didn't have to flip a switch. He just told the lights to turn on. He could dim them with his voice. He could turn on the TV, turn it off, turn on the sound system. He could talk to his appliances and make them do things because the house was smart. On this particular day in June when he arrived home, he saw a package from Amazon that had been delivered earlier. He picked it up, went to go through his door, and his door would not open. And he was surprised, thought maybe the power was out, and he had to go through the mechanical means of getting into the house it, like us people who have unsmart houses, actually using a key to get in or whatever. He got inside only to find the lights wouldn't turn on, the, um, the refrigerator wouldn't say hello or whatever it is that he had wired up. Alexa wasn't functioning. And that went on for the rest of the day. And he was very frustrated. He was locked out of his smart system to his house. And as he began to do a little research over the next week and having to actually use physical effort to turn on the lights and turn off the TV, he discovered that he had been locked out of his system intentionally. And when he got in contact with Amazon, what they found was, or what they said to him, is that his service had been suspended for a racial instance. It was, he was being accused by the Amazon driver of using a racial slur when the driver placed the package on the back porch. And in the process, they cut him off so that he couldn't use any of his smart devices because Amazon didn't want to support that type of behavior. Now, right or wrong, he was at least smart enough to know how to get the evidence to figure out what actually happened. And through some backdoor devices, uh, software, he was able to get into his camera system, and he observed the day that the driver dropped the package on his porch. The driver had headphones in, and was not able to probably hear what was said, but when he stepped onto the porch, it activated the smart doorbell, and an automated voice came across and said, excuse me, may I help you? And however the Amazon driver thought that was a racial slur, this man was able to prove himself, vindicate himself as being not, not racist. He was able to get his system back and unlocked and allow his house to become smart once again. However, he's in the process of deciding if he actually wants to use that, those products since they have that much play over his control of them. It's interesting when you experienced a locked situation and you begin to try to figure out what's causing this. He went from one day thinking that the system's not working, then discovering that it was a disciplinary means, then it was a false accusation, and then finally, because he was able to provide proof, he was able to unlock the door and go through that. 
But you and I, we experience locked doors all the time in all sorts of different uh, scenarios and settings. You might experience a locked door where you fee, you've made application for a job and they told you they would get you an answer in a day, but weeks and months are going by. Maybe you feel like a situation is locked down in your life where you're doing everything you can financially, but for whatever reason, it feels like it's extremely tight. And though you pray and though you're working hard, there seems to be no relief. The door of relief is not opening. You might find yourself at a point where you have a medical diagnosis and you're believing God for healing, but there's time taking place between that moment of diagnosis and that moment of healing. And, and a lot of times when a door is locked like that, there's an element of suffering or agony or just, how many of you enjoy waiting? Anybody I saw, no hands go up. People are truth tellers inside this house, right? So um, I remember when uh, Rowena and I lived in Pennsylvania, we were coming to the end of our time of serving as youth pastors in the church we were at. I was approached by another youth pastor in the state who knew that I was looking to move on, and his church was beautiful church, great pastor, new facility in a much bigger city than where I, I was living in a town of 300 people in a county of 5,000, if you can imagine that. And he was out towards Philadelphia and he approached me because he had a conversation with his pastor about being interested that after he left that they would like to interview Rowena and myself. And so we began a dialogue and he was going out to preach in a different church to, to candidate for the opportunity there at a different church. And it should have been a, a an easy slam dunk for him to get the job. And so I was looking at the calendar thinking, oh, a couple weeks we're going to have news and we're going to transition and maybe we should get some U-Haul boxes and I don't want to announce this. But two weeks later, I get a phone call from him and he's very down, very disappointed. And for whatever reason, his situation didn't work out, which put him back in the waiting game and then put me back in the waiting game. He contacted me a month later and he had another opportunity to go to and he was going to interview and that was another slam dunk, and it was no big deal, and his pastor was wanting to meet with us, but wanted to wait until it was appropriate, till his youth pastor had a job. And so we were kind of praying for him to get the job and praying for the opportunity for us. And two weeks later, I get a phone call saying, man, I don't know what's going on. The door shut for me. So he went back on the waiting calendar, which put me back on the waiting calendar, and months and months are now going by. And I could feel that door that I knew this door needs to open, but it's not opening, and I don't know how to pray. Is, is it God? Is it the devil? Is it somebody? Is, it, is this even a door? I had, I had a difficult time figuring it out. I got a call at some point from a pastor in Longview, Washington, and they flew myself out, and I, I interviewed here in, in the Northwest, and in the process, it was a great, fit, uh, great set. Uh, a great setting for us, for my family. Uh, we took a position up there in Longview, which has led to us living here in the Northwest ever since, since 1995. And there was a lot of reasons why that was such a great setting. But as soon as I got home, as soon as I accepted the position, as soon as I announced to my pastor that we were going to be leaving, moving to the Northwest, I got a phone call from the same youth pastor saying, guess what, Steve? I just got a job at a different church and my pastor wants to meet with you. And it was like, I thought, of all the ironic timings in this, the fact that that was a really great opportunity for me, but the door wouldn't open, and now that I have found where I need to go, suddenly that door swings open and I can't go through it. I really felt like God was teaching me a master class on 
understanding doors, why they're closed, and the timing of them open for my future. Because at the time, I, I was like 29 years old, and this was a great moment for me to begin to understand that just uh, it, it really does matter why a door is closed before you. So I want to walk you through a couple of scenarios. If you're experiencing a clo closed door in your life, whether it's in health or opportunity or, or pay or maybe it's a closed door in relationship. You're, you feel like between you and someone else, the door has been slammed. It should be open. I mean, after all, it's your child or it's your spouse or it's, a, it's your mom. The door has been shut. I'm trying to fix the situation, but it's just locked tight. I think that this, these couple of thoughts will help you out. Number one, uh, I want to challenge you that sometimes... What you think there is, is, is a door. There is no door at all. It's a wall. Anybody here? You've, you've, you, just because you're following Jesus and you want something and you want something good does not mean that that's a door. God is not obligated to create a door every place that you want there to be one. And he, there will be times when you, God in his, his permissive will, in other words, he permits you to do what you want, and then when you do what you want, he blesses it as long as it's a righteous thing. There are times when God will create a door that you want to exist. But there are times when God doesn't create a door and you're trying to kick through the wall because he has something different for your life. And you go through all of the rigmarole of why, why won't this open? And at some point, you got to be able to stand back and just recognize there is no door here. It's not that what I want is bad. It's just that it's not permitted. Well, even if it's not permitted in, how many of you know if it's not permitted in scripture, it's not permitted? Okay. Well, I know God's word says X, Y, Z, but that's a stinky butt. Stay away from that stinky butt. Okay. Right. Stay away from it. Because if God says it in his word that it, it's, it, you don't go through that door, it's a wall. You might get through there, but you're going to, you're going to, you're going to break yourself on the two by sixes and the electrical system and the drywall. And you're going to be, why is this happening to me? Because there wasn't a door there. You're cry bar and, you know, drywall off the wall only to discover there's plywood behind that and bars on the other side of that to keep you out. Not everything that you want is God going to do for you. But I thought he was going to lead me to my best life. He's going to lead you to his best life for you, not your best version of your life. Thank God. Anybody? If you got everything you ever prayed for, ah! how many of you have prayed for some stupid things? How messed up would your life be if God had answered that prayer? So sometimes God says no. And the, and the thing that I can recommend that you do is just surrender to his will and move on. In fact, when God says no, surrendering to his will can be one of the greatest sacrifices you'll ever make. It burns deeply. It's hard to hear no, but you lay your will up on his altar and light it on fire like the Old Testament talks about. The smell of that, that offering, the incense going up to the heavens, a pleasing aroma to the king of kings. When God says no, light that thing up and say, okay, God, I've come to do your will, not my will. Isn't that what Jesus prayed? Your will be done, not my will. And that is part of being a disciple. God is interested in your happiness, but it's not his number one item on, your, on his agenda. Well, God just wants me to be happy. No, I don't see that in scripture. Obedience brings happiness. 
Just trying to say it with a smile. <laughs> Obedience will lead to happiness, but God's number one concern is not your happiness because your happiness, if it was number one, would require him to do things that are contradictory in a five-minute time span. I really want that. Oh, I don't really want that. I really want them. Oh, I don't really want them. I really want to do that. Oh, I don't really want to do that. And so God is after your, your best according to his will and his foreknowledge and understanding of what actually works in this world, not your immediate pleasure. Mom and dad, if you make your child's immediate pleasure right here and right now, your biggest priority, you are gonna, you're going to create a monster. Sometimes your kid crying over in the corner is the best thing at this moment. I'll back off the parenting. Okay. So, so there are several different stories in here in Acts chapter 16 where Paul wanted to do a really good thing. He wanted to go and share the gospel in the region of Asia in Acts 16. He actually wanted to go into Bithynia, and, and he wanted to go into Troas and Mysia. And in going there to share the gospel, that's a good thing, right? So if the door is not open, if there are people who are running you off, that's got to be the devil, right? No, no, not always. Because good things are always trumped by God things. And sometimes God says no to a good thing because he's got something better. And if you get distracted by a good thing, you'll never get to destiny. And God was saying, listen, there's going to be an open door in Macedonia. And so after all of the no, the no, the no. But God, I'm trying to share the gospel. A vision comes in the night and he sees an angel saying, come over to Macedonia. Come over here. And when he wakes up, he realizes the vision. And he was able to yield to the closed doors and say yes to the door that was open. He said he, he resisted forcing his way into a good thing and instead stepped into a God thing, which is way better. So sometimes there is no door, it's a wall. And if that's the case, surrender to his will and move on. For some of you, we could dismiss right now and you are good to go. Okay, look at the person next to you and say, that might've been for you. Oh, some of you are nervous to do that. You know it was for them. You told them that yesterday. You're like, yeah, exactly. And yes, I received your email, and that's why I preached that. Okay, so, uh, so next, next idea. Um, this is an unusual one, but I, some of you need to hear this. Because sometimes when you're trying to get through that door and you're dealing with suffering, I've met Christians who have come to the place where they're like, oh, 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 oh. you know, God's not going to answer this prayer because Paul, he prayed three times, and God said, my grace is sufficient. And sometimes God gets more glory out of my suffering than he does out of answering my prayer. I've, I've watched people use this scripture in seasons of, of actual sickness. I've heard people say to me, you know what? I, I've stopped praying for healing because I think that God might be able to do more through my suffering in people's lives than he can through my healing. They put pause on that just for a second and say, God, you can glorify God in suffering. Okay? But there ain't nothing that glorifies God more than when somebody's healed. There's no person on the planet that Jesus walked up to and said, oh, I was going to heal you. However, your suffering is going to bring me more glory, so I'll, I'll, I'll move on. Jesus never said that because there is such incredible power in a person's healing. So if you're sick, you can understand while sick, you can still glorify God. Paul, we believe that he had an issue with his eyes. After, after um, being blinded, you know, in his, his spiritual, his salvation experience, scales fell from his eyes. And he writes in other places about 
difficulty with, see, with seeing. And while he's praying for everybody else to be healed, we kind of get the idea that Paul is here praying for his vision to be really cleared up and restored. He prays three times, and God says, my grace is sufficient. So the door remains closed. But there's a context here. There's something that is said before, my grace is sufficient. Um, Paul understands, he says, so to keep me from being conceited because of the surpassing greatness of all the revelations I've had, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from being conceited. And so what I like to ask people is, so if you're just going to live with this thorn in the flesh, what thing is God trying to, what great revelations have you had that God's got to keep you down so that you can suffer so that you don't become conceited? I mean, have you ever had a revelation? Have you ever seen angels? Have they shown up in your bedroom to download all of the glory of God in your life? Have you walked on, you know, have you, have you experienced what the apostle Paul has experienced? I haven't. Probably most of us in this room, this scripture does not apply to us. There's probably no one in this room that has had such a great revelation of God that God is going to allow you to experience a thorn in the flesh to keep you on level ground. At least I could say that of me. There's been no moment where I feel like I'm hovering because of the revelation of God. And for most of us, we could be very confident that when the door is shut, this is not God's thorn for my flesh so that I can suffer. Okay, you got, do you have that? This scripture likely does never apply to you or me. Now in the future, as the great things happen in your life, if we need to revisit this, we will, okay? But for this moment right here, I think, I think we're good to go. Okay, moving on. Um, sometimes the door is locked because you locked the door. Anybody here, you've ever done that? Locked yourself out of the car? Uh, we were camping at one point and the lock wasn't working correctly and we found ourselves locked out of our camper. And we were, I was like, how am I ever going to get back in this? And then it dawned on me, well, there's actually a driver's door around the other side that's not locked. And so I was able to get in that. You know, it was like, oh, revelation, we can get back in. But I thought to myself, what if there hadn't been a door on the other side? One time my son locked himself out of the house and didn't tell us. I found out on social media by the picture of him up on the roof breaking into his own bedroom window when he was about 16 or 17 years old. I was like, wow, that's a... interesting to find that out that way, right? But... But sometimes the door is locked because we've locked it. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 27. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it. How did I get in this hole? What's that shovel in your hand? Why am I having this financial difficulty? I just saw you at the mall. <laughs> why, why is my relationships not going well? Well, let's talk about your attitude and your narcissistic way of living. How it's always about you. Well, how, come, how come my boss isn't giving me a raise? Well, let's talk about how often you are late. How many days you miss at work, right? Your attitude of, oh, why do I got to do this, right? You, you know, sometimes we are in a locked door season because we've done everything to lock the door bolt the door, hammer the door, chain the door, and we stand there saying, hmm, who did this? We did. And sometimes that can be done with our own sin. Your sin can create locked door experiences, certainly in your relationship with God. God hasn't locked the door. God hasn't left you, but you've nailed the door shut with your sin. And it can also affect, very, in very real ways, 
your, your experience here on earth in life. And you're like, oh, you're praying, God, God, please open the door. And God's like, it was open. You nailed it shut. And so there's a process to see that open. Now, I'll tell you that sometimes the shovel in our hand isn't a sinful shovel. I've experienced this quite a bit in my lifetime. I hate to admit it, but I've gotten involved with things for good reasons and helped to dig out what I thought was going to be a, a pit for a good experience, only to have the pit collapse back on me and me be left holding the shovel and the door shut when my intentions were right, but I didn't understand everything involved, and now the door shut. It wasn't my, wasn't sin. It was just a lack of understanding, a lack of planning, a lack of of uh, sometimes of just knowing what was involved, right? Anybody you've experienced that? Like, you say it like this, if I had known that first. But the door is still locked. There's a reality. Um, there's an interesting story in 2 Kings about uh, the, the prophet of the Old Testament who was raising up other prophets, and he started a school for the prophets. In other words, he was training people to do, he was discipling is really what he was doing. And so many people came to be discipled that they ran out of room and they decided, let's build a bigger place. Back then, there was no Home Depot to go to. Of course, they would never go to Lowe's, but there was no Home Depot to go to. And in the process, they needed to cut down the trees and hew out the lumber and build a new school. When you study the, the history back then, because of the unrighteous kings and the invading nations, it's a little bit of a a little bit of a flavor of that in the wind of our nation right now. The people were disarmed and the weapons were all put in a central location. And so the average person didn't even have an ax. They didn't have, in fact, when wartime came, they were beating their plowshares into weapons because they didn't have access to simple swords. They had been disarmed as a society. And so, uh, um, iron was very scarce because of that. Not that iron is scarce, but the economy, the market, the governing forces had made it scarce. So when it came time to build this school, one student who just wanted to help borrowed an ax from a friend. Now, for you, if you borrow an ax from me, I've got a couple out in my, my, my garage, and I don't use them on a regular basis, so I would hand it over to you. And if you returned it, it would be great. If you didn't return it, which would be terrible, I probably wouldn't even realize it, because when, when do I need to use an ax again? Well, the next time I need it but I don't know when that is, right? But when you borrow an ax from a man in this economy, that man had the ax because that was his job. You're, you're borrowing a man's livelihood. And so this young man who was looking to be a prophet borrowed the ax head, and in the process of they're, they're, they're cutting down the trees, they're hewing the lumber, they're pushing them out into the river to float, because there's no trucks back then. They're floating the timber to where they're going to build the school, and in the process, the ax head flips up and off of the ax handle, and it goes down into the water. And in essence, this young man, he, he's borrowed another man's livelihood, has no way to cover that debt, and he realizes that he's in a pit and he doesn't know what to do. Now, here's what I'll tell you about finding yourself in a, in a, behind a locked door that you have locked. It can still be unlocked. Whether you've dug the pit in sin or you've dug the pit by accident, but it's a reality that there's a great moment, whether it's sin or it's just a lack of knowledge, to still believe for the door to open. A lot of times when we sin, we just like, we give up. We're like, 
I'm a horrible person. I'll just avoid that door. I'm never going to go through that door. I don't deserve to go through that door. But that door is there by design in the heavens. Just because you've sinned, you cannot lose sight of the reality of God's plan for your life. And just because of stupidity, you can't walk away and be like, I'm so stupid, God could never use me. Because if that was the case, hey, nobody were laying hands on and sending anywhere to do any dinner parties or anything else. We might as well give up now. God uses imperfect people. Let me see the hands of the imperfect people here, right? Lots of imperfect people, okay? What ends up happening is this young man who lost the ax head, he goes to God, he goes to the prophet and says, alas, my Lord, it was borrowed. And the prophet, through his, the power of God on him, causes that ax head to float to the top of the water. I know that makes no scientific evidence. Sometimes you can't follow the science because there's the supernatural which supersedes the science. I'm always looking for that. Any locked science door can still be unlocked if it's God's will and it's in his word, okay, to see that come back to a reality. And so when you find yourself in a situation where the door has been locked or you're in a pit because of your own doing, a couple things you could do. Number one, repent. Own it. Repent. Repentance is going to God and saying, I'm in a pit of my own doing. It was wrong. It was in scripture. I shouldn't have done it. I confess my sin to you. I've been blaming everybody else up until this point. I've even been blaming you. But God, I confess this is my sin. And once you begin to do that, the second step to that is to reset. Because repentance actually is not just saying you're sorry to God, but it's turning and going the other direction. It's resetting. Some people just, they think, you have to forgive me because I said I'm sorry. I don't think you understand what that word means. Repentance, yes, I do desire to forgive you, but your repentance requires a new course of action. You don't just get a get out of free jail card so that you can go back to jail. That's not repentance. That's, that's you tapping into people's emotions to take them hostage to release you. True repentance says what I did was wrong. I own it and I'm gonna start behaving a different way, okay? Help your children to learn that. You say you're sorry. Well, if a child says they're sorry, but they're forced to say they're sorry, that's not the lesson that you want them to learn. The real lesson is not just to say you're sorry, but to make the situation right. Anybody? Right? It's restoration, it's returning the thing you stole. Okay, well, I'm getting lots of amens up here today. That's, that's overwhelming. All right. Okay, so, but here's the other part of that. Once you, once you repent and once you reset, look for redemption. Look for God to get involved with this situation. That's the miraculous thing. You know, David had a man named Uriah killed because he slept with Uriah's wife. Got her pregnant. In order to hide that she was pregnant, he went through a whole series of horrific, sinful things Uriah ends up dead on purpose in a battle, and, and David pretends to be the good guy and swoops in to take the, the dead man's wife, and, oh, she's pregnant. I will even adopt the child. And the prophet rose up and said, I know what you've done, and the child dies. You want to talk about a locked door in a man's life? Read Psalm 51, though. He comes before God. He repents. He throws himself on the mercy of God and says, Lord, I will change my behavior redeem me. In other words, get involved, 
with my bad situation, glorify yourself. Don't let what I've done keep the will of God from happening. And as you read the story, Bathsheba gets pregnant later on and gives birth to the next king of of Israel, Solomon. God can use your worst moment for his best if you will repent, reset, and invite him in to redeem the situation. Amen? Okay. Next, next uh, point. Uh, sometimes the door is locked because somebody else locked the door. How many of you have been locked out of the house because someone, someone locked the door? You told them, I don't have my keys. And they locked the door anyways. Let me tell you a quick story. We, we used to live in an apartment, Rowena and I, at, in a house. Uh, it was an older house in Poughkeepsie, New York. We had just gotten married. And our house actually didn't have a bathroom immediately in the house. It was actually in the stairwell of our house a stairwell that went down to just the owner of the house, that this house at one time had been something a little bit different, but when we needed to go to the bathroom, we could either get to the bathroom out of this door or out of that door in our house. And in the bathroom, once you were in the bathroom to get back in the house, you had to go through one of these two doors. Now, we were always very concerned as newlyweds or as a young couple in a city, we gotta make sure we lock our doors. So not only did we lock our outside door, but we locked the two doors in that hallway so that nobody would break in and kill us and you know, rob all of our worldly pleasures, all of our paper cups and plates. Uh, we'd lock those doors, and I was just in the habit of locking the door. So I would head off to work every morning, and at that time, Rowena was getting ready for work, and she was usually in the bathroom, and I would go out and say, goodbye, sweetheart, I'm leaving for work, and I would go out of the bathroom area through the door into the apartment, and there were at least two occasions that Rowena had tried to get from the bathroom back into the apartment while wearing only her robe and her wet hair, and both doors were locked. Now, I would like to argue that I was not the one who locked the door, but the reality is there was no one sneaking into the house and locking her out. Okay? I locked the door accidentally for good reason, to protect us, and in the process, she had humiliated, had to walk down the stairwell knock on the owner's door. The older gentleman who barely spoke any English have a dialogue about, no, I'm here to get into my apartment. This is not a social call. And she would have to be led out and he would walk her around the house through the neighborhood into the front door to come back into her apartment. How many of you know that those were not days where when I got home, I did not get the husband of the year award that day because I locked her out of the door. When you've experienced a locked door like that, There are a number of different people who could have locked the door. It could be the devil. We saw that in Paul's life. It could just be circumstances. How many of you know that we say this all the time? You know, everything in this world will fight against God's best in your life. Sometimes you'll be driving down the road and somebody will fly out and T-bone your car and wreck your car and impact your finances and impact your health. And you really want to find somebody to blame, but it's just the circumstances of a fallen world that we live in. We're not in heaven yet. So bad things, they just happen sometimes. And so sometimes the door gets locked by circumstances. Sometimes we lose our job because of the downturn in the economy. There's no real author necessarily behind you that experiencing that. Or maybe, maybe you worked at Blockbuster and Netflix is on the rise. Nobody's getting DVDs anymore, right? Why is this happening to me? Just circumstances. Sometimes there's, a, there's, a, there's an entropy and things come to an end. It's the reality, but the door is locked. Sometimes it could be a person. 
somebody who just doesn't like you who's doing it on purpose or their purpose for themselves locks a door for you because in pursuit of what they want, they have to step on you to get to where they're going. Now, regardless of who is the author of this, there are times when someone else locks the door. Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2 that Satan had hindered him. And in Ephesians, we're reminded that we wrestle. We wrestle against closed doors, and sometimes it's against principalities and powers. And I just got to tell you that when you recognize that someone has, has locked the door or something has locked the door, it's time to wage war in the spiritual and then work it out in the natural. Don't do the opposite. Don't wage war in the natural and work it out in the spiritual. That's going to kill you. That's going to create... If someone has locked the door and you go to war with them personally, you are going to find that you're going to add debris in front of the door that now the door that God wants to open for you, you have now started nailing it shut along with their chains and bars. Don't add to the problem. Wage war in the spiritual. Get on your knees. Begin to pray and ask God for direction, understanding, uh, uh, the anointing, favor, all of the things that he can add to you, and then work it out in the natural. It's not a war in the natural. It's work it out in the natural. Have the conversation. Appeal to the people at Amazon Prime. Show them the video that you did not do this. Don't go to war against them. You're going to make it worse because we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and power, okay? Uh, last point, and the worship team's going to come, and we're going to uh, get ready to dismiss, but sometimes there's just a a lock that's related to the calendar on a door. I don't know about you, but when my wife starts baking at the house and I get that initial fragrance, shoots into my nostrils of whatever thing is being baked. How many of you, it's right here, right now, I'm ready to go. Sign me up, give me some of that. But how many of you know that that gooey, buttery mix in the bowl is not, uh, it's, the smell is there, but the actual substance of those cookies that you're excited about haven't taken place. Then they need to go in the oven. The oven needs to heat up. And in the process of the oven heating up, there's the right amount of time for them to be in the oven. And then even though after they've come out of the oven, how many of you would rush the process and burn your lips off by eating them here now? And I've got many a raw roof of my mouth because I struggle with waiting. Anybody here? Is it just me? Right? But there really is a timing that you have to recognize when doors are locked, that you would find that it, you would do really well to, if you discern that that's what's going on, it's a calendar thing, that you, in the process of, of praying and seeking God, you allow the cake to bake, knowing that what I'm smelling is a precursor to what is coming, but to be patient. The Bible says, be patient and what? Wait on the Lord. It doesn't say be patient and wait. It says be patient and wait on the Lord. Now, some of you think that means to wait for the Lord. I'm gonna be patient and wait for the Lord to open the door. It doesn't say that. It says to be patient and wait on the Lord. There's a difference. You see, because waiting for the Lord means you're doing nothing. Waiting on the Lord means you're leaning in to do all the things we talked about last week, to seek God, to come up with some solutions, to pray about the provision needed on the other side of the door, to build relationships for that next season, to research, 
to study, to build a network. It's waiting on the Lord, asking God for strength, build your faith, to build your confidence, to increase your power so that when the door opens, you step through ready to go. Here's what happens. There are people who wait for the Lord and don't redeem that time of waiting. And then when they step through the door, they are not prepared for that moment. Sometimes, thank God, God doesn't even open the door. Sometimes, because we're not doing our part, the door just stays shut. Maybe that's you. Maybe, you, maybe God spoke to you something about your future a long time ago and it's yet to happen. What I love to ask is, okay, what have you been doing to position yourself so that when the door opens, you're ready? Well, I'm just waiting for a husband. What are you doing in the meantime? Are you working to be the best wife? You're reading some books on being a spouse? Are, are, you, are, you, are you developing the prize that you hope to offer for the prize you're expecting to get? Or just waiting around, letting time go by, letting the, letting the yard fall apart and just <laughs> expecting this great gift from God without recognizing you could present a gift in return waiting for that great job. How about you work on being a great employee? Because if God gives you a great job and you've yet to develop the great employee side of things, that job is gonna be short-lived and then you're gonna be like, who closed the door? Stand with me, I, bet I should probably just stop there, right? When the calendar is locked, the door, pray, prepare and get positioned. Can't wait to get married, get positioned. I can't wait to start my company. I mean, a lot of people have been waiting for 30 years to start their company. Do your research, get your tools together, start learning that skill, watch those YouTube videos, listen to a few TED Talks, go and be a, 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 someone who volunteers at a company that does the thing that you wanna do for free so that you can learn the industry. Wow, that sounds like a lot of work. Guess what, big dreams, they're a lot of work. God's great promises, they're a lot of work. Just look in the Old Testament. Ain't nothing dropped out of the sky. Most people had to grind out the good thing God had for them using a chisel and a stick, but they ground it out. Come on. God, does God got great things for you? I can see it. I, I know he does. Come on, the door's not open. What are you doing? What are you doing? You lean forward, positioned in faith. God, I know you got great things. I know you're gonna open this door. I know it might be a matter of timing, but I'm not just waiting for you, I'm waiting on you, amen? Amen, why don't you lay your hands on your heart? Let me pray for you, we'll sing this final song. While your hand's on your heart, let me just look you in the eye and say, if you've yet to respond to Jesus' invitation to follow him, there's gonna be a whole lot of difficulty trying to travel through doors in this lifetime. Because the only thing you have to rely on is your own ability to pick locks and pry doors loose. One of the most amazing things about following Jesus is he does the miraculous to help navigate us through not only the best doors, but to teach us how to get through those doors. And the places he wants to lead you, they do have doors, but he's gonna help you as a disciple how to navigate through. Without that, you're just wandering through a, a labyrinth called life, trying to make your own doors. One of the beautiful things about following Jesus is he'll show you the doors and he'll show you how to get through the doors. And so if you've yet to say yes 
in a sincere way to following Jesus, if you've just been coming to the church, if you've just been kind of reading your Bible, but not really following, I want to challenge you as we pray to say, Jesus, today I make up my mind. I'm going to start following you. You're going to discover that immediately that relationship for real is going to kick in and you'll begin to step into the path that leads to doors, that leads to effectiveness at pressing through. Amen? How many of you have experienced that in your life already? Let me hear your voices. Come on, come on. All right. So hand over your heart. Let me pray. Father, I thank you this morning for your word. I thank you for our church family. I thank you for the opportunities that we have. I love, Jesus, I love to follow you. It's not always easy, but I love it. It always leads to, to, to the best places. They're not always, they're not always soft places. Sometimes they're difficult places, but, but they're the best. It's hard, to, it's hard to climb a mountain. It'd be much easier to just walk on flat, flat straight paths, but you lead us through the wilderness onto up incredible heights that are, take a lot of work, but then we stand on the mountain peak and we can see it all and then we celebrate. Look what God has done, look where he's led us. And so Jesus, we say yes, fresh and new to following after you. We say yes, maybe for the first time, but I pray God that you will help us to navigate well. As we come to doors, give us the discernment to know why the door is closed. Help us to redeem the time while the door is shut as we figure out what's needed to press through. Lord, thank you for the good people in our lives, the good spiritual leaders that we all have that can help us to figure out why that door is shut, to what to do to see it open. I thank you for that. We have your word and we have one another, and so you lead us well. Lord, we're so grateful, we're so thankful. I pray for the one right now, Lord, who is maybe in a situation standing before the closed door that today there's the revelation of why it's closed. Why it's closed. Lord, right, right now I pray Holy Spirit, you're the revealer of truth. I have a sense that there's at least a few people in the room today who they've been angry that the door is shut. They've been complaining that the door is shut. They've been pointing their finger at the shut door to their friends and family and, and pointing at reasons and blaming other people and circumstances. And they're mad that the guy over there, his door was open. Why is my door not open? When in reality, this is a, this is a enlightenment moment, Lord, you're, you're showing people why the door is closed. And Lord, if we can see why it's closed, now we know how to move forward. I pray for that revelation. Holy Spirit, you're the one who reveals truth. Sometimes that truth is to know why we're stuck here waiting. And so I pray God for that revelation. I pray that you would turn the notch, uh, the dial of our, our ability to discern these things up even higher as we follow after you that there's a new rhythm there's a new understanding there's a new sensation of coming to resistance coming to closed doors and yet very quickly being able to figure out why or that's that's a that's a sign of a seasoned disciple they've learned how to how to navigate through and the why and so i thank you for that help us to all dial in lord we thank you for your word thank you for leading us so well and we pray these things in jesus name and everyone said Amen and amen. Thanks for being with us today. Be sure to like and subscribe and visit us at c3swwa.com for more information about our church. 